Hello, welcome back. It's me again, Alex Bloomberg, the CEO of Gimlet, the company that made Homecoming. And I'm here, as probably most of you know by now, because for the past few episodes, I've been telling you the story of how Homecoming, our first ever fiction podcast, became an original TV series on Amazon, also called Homecoming. We covered that story on another one of our podcasts, a podcast called Startup. But we thought fans of the Homecoming podcast might be interested to hear it too. So we've been putting those startup episodes down this feed as well. This is the fourth and final episode, how Homecoming the podcast became Homecoming the TV show. Enjoy. Welcome back to Startup. I'm your host, Alex Bloomberg. And for the past three episodes, I've been telling you the story of how our first fiction podcast, Homecoming, became an Amazon original television series. This is the fourth and final episode of our series. And on today's show, I sit down with some of the stars of the Homecoming TV show to talk about how they came to the project and what it was like working on it. First, I talked to Sam Esmail, the director of the show, and Julia Roberts, who plays the lead role of Heidi Bergman. Uh, Julia Roberts is an actor. I'm just joking. You guys know who Julia Roberts is. We sat in a small conference room together, all three of us. And Julia kicked things off by telling me the story of how she first heard the podcast. She'd been sent a link to the show so she could download the episode. And she was at home, as she explained in a previous episode, sorting Legos in her son's bedroom while she listened. And she was really enjoying it. But she told me she's not a super tech-savvy person. And when it came to the last episode, I couldn't get it to play, and I never finished it. You never listened to the— I never knew what happened. Wow. And I didn't really know what happened until I read Read the script script. you sent me. (laughs) So it might have ended very differently in the podcast. I wouldn't know. (laughs) Um, Who sent you that link? My agent. Your agent. And you must be getting things like this all the time. Like, how— how many projects are you getting pitched? This is so daily? cool. I have, I don't know the answer to this. Isn't it this, funny? this is it's so this fascinating. This is the secret side. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I'm lucky enough to get asked to do all kinds of things, and um, but I also, if I were to be honest, over a 30 year career, I could build a house out of the scripts I didn't read, um, because you just can't. Um, yeah. And for me, if I start a script, I have to finish it, unlike my podcast, apparently. So for this, it was one of those things I said, yeah, it's cool. It sounds super interesting. And like most of these conversations, then they kind of just drift away. And a bunch of people, it's part of their daily conversation. And it's not anything to me until weeks or sometimes months down the road. And they say, okay, so Sam Esmail is going to do this and wants to talk to you. Okay. So then it just starts to get fun because before it's just a conversation, do you like something? Yeah, I like it. So that's when you get someone like Sam Esmail to sweeten the pot. (laughs) And that's when I get someone like Julia Roberts. (laughs) So, um, all right. I want to talk to you about uh, feelings. If that's okay. You've come to the right place. (laughs) (laughs) So I want to talk to you about, like, your experience in the production. And just sort of, like, I don't know, when I'm working on a big project, there's, like, all this self-doubt. And there's all this, like, sleepless nights. And it's such this crazy emotional roller coaster. And I was like, did you have, like, sleepless nights, like, during the shoot? Like, where you're like, oh, is this going to work? Is this coming together or, or no? 
Um, for whatever reason on this show, because we had such great support from Amazon, because we had an excellent crew from top to bottom, because the cast is just a luxury that, I mean, it's just beyond the pale. I mean, you can't, I mean, the cast is brilliant. Um, the anxiety of, are we going to pull this off? Or are we I just knew we would because we, you know, we did every day uh -huh. um, beyond my expectations. And we were just talking about this. I was waiting for the other shoe to drop at some point, and that just never happened. It just, uh, it, was, it, was, it was a really fulfilling creative experience. That's crazy. Is that, so how typical is that in your experience, Julia? That would be um, not typical. <laughs> it's kind of a, I think it's kind of a unicorn. It is God, a unicorn. It, it's oh, kind well of a expressed, unicorn. Sam. There you go. Uh, it, Homecoming. It's a unicorn. <laughs> I see the poster. <laughs> and, and it felt that way to you? It really did. I mean, I think Sam is incredibly good at understanding people and how we work and what makes people um, as highly creative as they can be and, and as highly motivated as they can be. To hear you both talk, it really does sound like you both, it was really this sort of like, almost instant cre creative coming together in a weird way. Is that, has that happened before? Is that like, was that unusual? Oh, it's, I, I mean, I've done one movie and I've done one television show outside of this. So my experience is limited, but the fact that she and I hit it off so quickly, so early is practically unheard of. One of the great things that came out of working on this particular show for me was that Sam and I kind of became friends so quickly and then quickly kind of brought our true lives together so that when I was at work, he knew that I was at work after dropping three kids off at school or getting four dogs walked or, you know, that my husband was out of town working. And, you know, so he knows all the things that, that are in my we were, we were friends. Yeah. We were not coworkers. And it's we were, really helpful. We were friends. Right. Why is it helpful? Um, I just think that it adds a layer of complexity to the way that we relate to each other and how I think how he can talk to me because he understands exactly my point of entry from all the doorways in my life. Um, I, Sam and I, are, I think, are uniquely... Uh, consistently happy people. I think that's one of the things that we have the deepest in common is that we're both like super happy people. I mean, the first thing we do is like we yell, yeah, we yell each other's <laughs> and names, we hug. And then we hug. <laughs> it's true every day. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm really bummed that you're both both really happy people. That's really <laughs> I know. Really I makes know you want to hear for me. <laughs> some more stories, but and honestly, it was a shocker for me too because I. You know, I, I just assumed, you know, uh, the going's going to get tough at some point, uh -huh. but it just, uh, it just didn't. Yeah. Um, is there, um, do you remember a time on set when the two of you are working, like, that you can point to specifically where you're like, this is the thing I love about what I'm doing? Well, for me, I think there were a, a, actually I'm sure there were many. more than one time because Sam would set, he would almost like, set us up to fail because there would be so many moving parts. Like he would give me so many words to say and then so many 
props to manage and so many stairs to walk down and so many so many things for the the dolly grip to have to avoid and corners and bumps and things and we're down a hallway and down some stairs and you know what let's we're going to walk outside and oh it happens to be raining that day and the, you know and he does all these things and then if we can actually you know it's like okay John Meng who was our dolly grip amazing dolly amazing grip. legendary guy we would do some of these unbelievable tasks for Sam <laughs> and like Peter would say, cut. And then Mango and I would just look at each other and just wait for Sam to go, great. <laughs> and sometimes he'd say in a way, and Mango would go, we're going again. Yeah, I think we are. We'd go back to our, you know, okay, what could we do? So when I came around that corner and we would be trying to like, how could we make it better to get that sound out of Sam, which is what we were all living for. And he would just set up so many incredibly creative obstacles for us to, accomplish that when we really accomplish them I mean you would just go home just radiating it was such a great feeling so it was like the harder he made it the more you enjoyed it yeah isn't that that's weird up. <laughs> 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 but look at his face look oh, at yeah. his face he could ask you to like go through an alligator river and you just look at his face and go I'll try <laughs> Good to know. Um, well, I want to talk to you about, like, um, you know, I come from more of a creative background. I worked at This American Life for a long, long time. I was a producer, a reporter. I did, like, long documentaries and stuff like that. But now I'm running this company. And so, like, the, the sort of the central tension is sort of that I'm gripped with is, like, art and commerce together. How do you make it, how do you make it work? To me, the minute you start worrying how many people will will this resonate with or how many people will this, you know, uh, attract or what is a demographic of whatever it is you're doing? I think once you go down that road, it's a fail. I think creatively, when you start to compromise authenticity for what you think people will like or what you think people will want um, or when you start editing yourself because that's too scary and you think that will scare people off, I think the work suffers, the art suffers. Um, and my core belief is what people want is, a, is, is maybe something they don't realize and that you just have to run with that and say, if you make good art, even if it's scary to people, even if it's challenging for people, they will come because it's in its core a genuine experience from the creator. That's why I want to talk about it because like that was at This American Life, that was very much, you know, our credo. Like we sort of like, we, we, we were making it for ourselves. Like we had to love the thing that we were doing yes. in order to like make it. And we were making it for ourselves. We weren't like thinking about like, oh, is the audience going to like it if we put this line in here? But now that I'm running a company, you do have to think about the audience, obviously. It has to be like, you need the commercial successes to, to pay for the creative successes. Um, and I'm, 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 I'm just sort of wrestling with that. But I mean, I guess what I'm saying is if you're forcing that, if you're trying to, if you're trying to build it in that manner, I think you're just going to fall into, you know, fall into trouble. Um, that might be naive and idealistic or, uh, or whatever. But I think that to me is just on this end, that's the only way I can sort of reconcile it with myself. The priority to me is make good things and good things will hopefully happen. After the break, 
I sit down with Julia Roberts' co-star, Stefan James, who plays Walter Cruz. My name is Stefan James. I'm an actor, and we were talking about Homecoming, where I play Walter Cruz. Um, talk to me about it from your perspective. How did you first become aware of this project? Where were you? Uh, where was I? Um, I was probably in New York sometime last year, and uh, my manager had told me about a podcast. He sent it to me, and he said, man, they're going to be making this really cool show about this podcast, mm-hmm. Homecoming. You should definitely listen to it. And... Uh, and, you know, I sort of held it off. I was working on something else at the time. And, he, you know, he kept mentioning, man, you got to listen to it. you got to listen to it. I'm telling you, we're about to get scripts on this thing. It's going to be great. And at this point, what do you know about podcasts? Um, not a whole lot. Have you I, listened to one? I hadn't listened to one. Um, and what was the image in your mind that you had of them? Be honest. Mm, I just pictured a bunch of guys. I pictured the radio without the music. <laughs> so a lot of talking. <laughs> the radio without the thing that makes it good. <laughs> exactly. It felt like it was going to be like a, a research thing, something I had to do for, you know, character. You know, I, needless to say, I didn't even think about whether I'd enjoy it or not. I yeah. just, I was like, oh, I'll listen to it when I, when I get to it. You have to read this policy paper. It's bad. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, uh, so yeah, no, I, I listened to it. I started listening to it and... Um, I was just consumed by it. Really, I was. It was, um, you know, there's really something interesting about voices. And and I'm an actor, so obviously I pay attention to a lot of visual type of things. And, um, you know, so visual imagery means a lot to me. But there's really something about just hearing voices and hearing dialogue and and building imagery in your your head and your brain that, that... I, f- I found was a very, um, I actually enjoyed it. And I was actually, you know, engulfed in it and, and on the edge of my seat. And I realized, oh, this is something I could do while I was doing other things. This is something I could do when I'm on the go, like when I'm in the car somewhere. Um, you know, <laughs> we might I mean? want to use that for the, for our commercial on podcasting that we eventually okay, all right. We'll, we'll save, save, that, save that segment for later. Yeah. You, yeah. So, so you, you were engrossed, you, you enjoyed it. Yeah. And then what did you do? Um, and then I said, look, man, like, <laughs> What, what can we do? Can we get scripts? I want to. I want to read this thing. I want to see what it's what it's like. And eventually, we got a script. And I thought it was so beautifully written. Um, really struck me as like probably one of the best things I'd read the entire year. Really. And um, I think the the one thing that really attracted me to it was just it was so conversational. And as an actor, that's so attractive to me. Just the the conversation elements of it. I like the fact that, you know, people were jumping on each other when they were talking in the podcast and if I tell you, are you gonna have me moved and take all my stuff? Walter, come on. Look, no. I saw those guys cleaning out his room, even his harmonica. They just threw it in a garbage bag. Why why couldn't he bring that with him? Wherever he's going. I can talk to the intake people. No, no, that's not that's not the point. What is the point? And, uh, you know, that sort of, it, it creates an element of authenticity that I felt like could really translate well to the show. When you learned that it's like Sam Esmail and that Julia Roberts is attached, like, does that, do you remember where you were when that, when you learned of that? Is that like, is it memorable? Um, I definitely remember the conversation I had and it was just very, very exciting. You know, you get on a conference call with your reps and, and, it, and it's like, you know, Sam Eshmael's doing it. Like, this is Mr. Robot. Like, you know, to me, he always struck me as a very big director, an ambitious director. And, and that's something I got to learn even more working with him. Um, but yeah, knowing that, uh, you know, I thought about, wait, Julia Roberts? And I, I thought to myself, has she ever even done television? And, you know, maybe I'm too young to even remember, but I can't recall her doing any sort of television. So that was another element that that was so exciting to me. Um is, is it is anybody been intimidating? I mean, she's been like a star 
she's like the biggest star in Hollywood for you know decades. Like, how, is, is it intimidating? No intimidation whatsoever. No, no I'm joking. <laughs> um, maybe a little bit. Maybe a little bit. It's you know what? It's a. Uh, I always say this. I you know I know when I'm working on something really really great when I get like this nervous energy, this nervous excitement when I go into work, and uh, and so waking up at six seven to to go into the lot to shoot these scenes with Sam and and Julia in ninety. Eight percent of my stuff was just with Julia in a room, and uh, and so to to know that that's what I was doing every day it made it very very exciting. Yes, you know there was a lot of nervous energy, but you know as an actor, you can't ask for a better scene partner than Julia Roberts. Mm-hmm. The other thing I'm interested in is like craft and hearing people talk about their craft because that's at the center of success. Um, for you personally, as as an actor on a on a project like this, like, do you is there something like getting in the flow, you know, like in the zone, or there's something that's going on where like all of a sudden all cylinders are clicking? Does that happen as an actor, and how do you know it's happening? Yeah, it's like it's it's like a thing where you realize that you have less questions. You know, I I, I find that there's less and less that I have to ask. There's more that I sort of just understand. Mm-hmm. Questions about like, why why is my character doing this? Yeah. That sort of thing. Yeah, motivations. And, you know, I got to a certain point with Walter where, you know, I was already Walter Cruz. And so there was very little that anyone could tell me to to shape him one way or the other. I'd already made him who he, who he was. Yeah. So what's your biggest worry now when you finish a project like that? What's your biggest fear? I don't think I worry about anything. I'm, I've been pretty good about. <laughs> uh, honestly, How can no, I feel like you? Well, you know what? It's it's. I've learned uh, that there's only so much that we have control over in this business. So, yeah. um, you know, me and and Julia and Sam, we've all sort of done our our parts, and now right. it's going to come out to the world, and the world will, you know, take it as as they will. But it's going to do what it's going to do. Hopefully, people uh, like it, enjoy it, but. If I was stressed out about every project I finished, then I'd have no hair. So, yeah. <laughs> and right. you never really know. I don't think anyone ever really knows how anything's going to be received. But mm-hmm. uh, one thing I do know for sure was I just had an incredible, incredible time working with these guys. Um, I felt like the luckiest guy in the world. And even if no one watches it, I'm happy with the experience. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the special mini season about the making of the Homecoming TV show. But before we say goodbye. I have an announcement, and that is that if you have been enjoying these episodes and the sound of my voice, I host another show at Gimlet. It's a show called Without Fail. I have candid conversations with people who have tried to do hard things, and sometimes they've succeeded, sometimes they've failed. We talk about it all. I'm really proud of the show. I really like the conversations that I get to have, and perhaps you'd like to check that show out as well. To give you a taste of what it sounds like, I'm going to play you an excerpt of that show right now. And keeping with the theme of Hollywood, I'm going to play you an excerpt from a show I did with Nina Jacobson. Nina Jacobson is a studio executive and producer in Hollywood. She's behind many of the biggest movies you've heard of, Pirates of the Caribbean, The Sixth Sense, The Hunger Games. She was the producer behind the biggest romantic comedy in the last decade, Crazy Rich Asians. And I had a really incredible conversation with her about what it takes to make a hit in Hollywood, and how it's important to look at all your failures and how they've informed your successes. And as part of that conversation, she told me this amazing story, which I want to play for you now. It's about how Nina came to develop one of the biggest franchises of her career, the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise. So without further ado, I'm going to play that excerpt, although quickly there's a small language advisory. There's some cursing, so you've been warned. All right, enjoy this excerpt from Without Fail. So when I was at Disney... 
they had never turned a ride into a movie before. <laughs> okay. So wait, I, I want to I want to stop you there because this is something that I really wanted to talk to you about. Because I, I think where you're going with this is, is the Pirates of the Caribbean, yeah. which was well, one I'm, of I'm about to get to hits. that one. Yeah. Yeah. So I was always so curious about how that came to be because that movie is based on a on a ride. And the idea of taking an amusement park ride and turning it into a movie, let alone a hit movie, seems so crazy to me. And I was just always wanted to know the backstory of how that happened. Wh- whose desire was that in Disney to take a ride and turn it into a we, movie? I had the desire. It was our desire. Where did that come from? Um, Because in the world of source material, I guess, I would say the things that I respond to are things that there's a feeling that you have about a book you love a comic book you love, a uh, it 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 conjures a feeling. And I grew up in LA. I went to Disneyland a lot, and I can tell you, for instance, with Pirates, I can tell you what that ride, the smell of that ride, the feeling that you get before you go down that first hill, the anticipation and the feelings that you feel in the ride. And I felt like that was something we had as this asset. And we have the Disney brand. We have these assets. Why not give them a go? Can um, I just say you're blowing my mind right now? Because I, and this, it makes so much more sense now to hear you say that. I thought that was like some crazy person at Disney had this idea. We've got these rides. Let's turn them into a movie. And like nobody would ever do that. But somehow Nina Jacobson <laughs> made it happen. And what you're telling me, and now it makes sense. You're telling me, no, no, no. The, that's a great idea. And I oh. had it because, like, rides are emotion. And, like, yeah. you can take that. And I'm, I'm not saying I was probably the only person who had it. I'm, I'm sure there were other people who would claim ownership over that idea. But I was all in, right? I was all God. in. I was like, these are emotion. I know how these rides feel. And if I know how it feels, I know how to make a movie about it. So you have this idea to take these rides and make them into movies. Yeah, let's give it a go. Let's develop some of them. And so you just had to figure out which ride then? Yeah, which rides. So we decide, let's give Country Bear Jamboree a go. And what's Country Bear Jamboree? I've never been to Disneyland. Well, I think it might even not be there anymore. There are animatronic bears that perform and, and sing and play guitars and stuff. And how did you settle on that first? Well, I actually think maybe we knew that it was going to close at some point, and maybe we thought, like, you know, this is sort of our chance to do it. And the Uh idea of doing a musical and a country musical and of also kind of beta testing this idea, too, right? Right. Of, you know, it's a 30 million—it was like a $30 million movie. Which isn't Um, much by by Disney standards, right? right. It wasn't a lot. And, and like I said, we had some fantastic music. There's uh, Bonnie Raitt is on there. We had some really great music. I don't know, it just seemed like a fun thing to do. <laughs> it was mm-hmm. like, it's not very scientific. It was like, that sounds fun. Let's try it. <laughs> right. And right. we had a good script. We had amazing puppets. They were awesome. It's just the CG was the sensibility. And people were like, that looks like eyes in bear suits. And we we're like, yeah, but do you realize how sophisticated these bear suits are? Uh-huh. Do you see the artistry of these bear suits? And it didn't work. Did people watch it and say you were brave? Uh, people were just like, oh, it's cute. But uh-huh. it it was it didn't it didn't work right. So yeah. one could have concluded from that that this whole ride to movie thing is a bad idea. Right. That's what but, I would have. That's what I would have. I would have concluded. I was like that bad idea, Bloomberg. Right. I was like that's not why it didn't work. <laughs> and so meanwhile, we were developing Pirates of the Caribbean. And Pirates of the Caribbean is another ride in Disneyland. Yes, it's another yeah. ride Disneyland that mm-hmm. I love. It's my favorite ride Disneyland. 
again, I really knew like the feelings of it and what is it about? And also my son at the time was really into pirates. So I knew like, oh, pirate ships are cool. Pirates are cool. And meanwhile, by the way, pirates are one of those things that in Hollywood legend, there's like pirates don't work. Nobody had made a successful pirate movie in a long time. Got it. Plus, we had just fallen on our face with our first go at a ride. Turned into I'm a movie. shocked that you're doing this movie. I'm shocked. You've just had this idea that didn't work. They thought we were idiots. <laughs> we really got a lot of grief about it. People thought we were really dumb for making Pirates of the Caribbean. People were just like, look at Country Bears. It didn't work there. It's not going to work here. Um, how did but, that, how did that come back to you? How did you know uh, that, you what the people were saying? People, I mean, first of all, like even before the movie came out, we, we weren't on any lists of like movies that will be hit over the summer. Right, there was no you buzz. Always, no buzz, zero buzz. And you know when you have doubters, you feel it. People talk about it. People gossip about it. What are they doing with that crazy pirate movie? And um, so we developed it internally, uh-huh. and then brought Jerry Bruckheimer on. We then brought on fantastic writers. And we started to build out and, you know, the idea of Johnny Depp and all of that stuff. And, you know, Jerry was a very formidable, very formidable producer and not an easy person to say no to. And so you partner, even though my our goal is to get, make this movie together, you partner with somebody who you know is going to push to make a very ballsy version of it. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, I will say, and I'll be the first to admit that when the Daily started to come in, uh, Johnny Depp in the Dailies was pretty out there. Mm-hmm. And I started to sweat a little and worry. That, like, are we going to be okay? Right. Because he's playing Captain Jack Sparrow in what but now very, is like a... Very drunken and, you know, kind of fey and... Stop! Not good! What are you doing? You burned all the food, the shade, the rum! Yes! The rum is gone! Why is the rum gone? But you have to imagine that's the performance that's on screen. So you have to imagine for the dailies, what you're sculpting from is some pretty yeah. out there stuff. Really big, crazy stuff. And I actually had to be, I was the one told to call him and ask, like, hey, what are you, what are you, what, what's up? What are you doing? You know? <laughs> and nobody else wanted to make that call. And he said, you got to trust me. You just got to trust me. Johnny Depp said that to you? Yeah. I was like, okay. Okay. The first time I saw the movie, I went to him and said, you were right. You were right. I'm really glad I trusted you. I'm glad I didn't chicken out. You know, like, it, it's that's scary. It's scary when you're doing something that really pushes the envelope. And it was scary. Yeah. And I and as an executive, you know, you your job is to watch the bottom line and hope that something's going to resonate with a lot of people. And you, your goal is to surround yourself with people who actually you believe know better than you do. Right. And, and you're maybe there as a, a voice, but if you don't think they're better than you are, then you've hired the wrong person. Right. So he should know better than I do. And when he said, you just have to trust me, I was like, you know, yeah, that's right. And I'm gonna. It was a good lesson of like, don't be a chicken shit. 
don't be scared of things that are out there. Um, and uh, because— even, even if you're trying to make a family movie about an amusement park ride. Yeah, even if you're making a family movie about amusement park ride. When did it become clear that you had a hit? Well, what was funny is that the movie was done very close to the time it was released. So our mm-hmm. first preview was right down to the wire. And so the first time we showed it, we showed it down in Anaheim. Just to a regular audience. Yeah, a re- you, pre- yeah. you recruit an audience and they tell you what they think and they loved it. They wow. loved it. And I don't think anybody, I mean, I had a lot of confidence in the movie. Once I saw it, I loved it. I loved it. It was a joyful, fun, this is why you go to the movies, transporting, original. So I had a lot of confidence in it. But I don't think that the upper brass really knew that it was going to work until our first preview, which was right very close to the release of the movie. And it was great, though, because we weren't on any lists or anything. And the sneak attack is so much better than the, oh, everybody thinks this movie's going to be a hit. And then people either are disappointed in it or it's not a big enough hit. The movie that nobody sees coming is one of the most fun things ever. That was Nina Jacobson on my new show, Without Fail. There's so much more fascinating stuff from that interview. Nina tells the bonkers story of how she was eventually fired in this big public way and how she came back from that to produce Crazy Rich Asians. It's a great story. If you want to listen, you can go subscribe for free to Without Fail on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I also talk to lots of other people in this series, people like Andrew Mason, who founded Groupon, Andre Iguodala from the world champion Golden State Warriors. So if you're interested in that, go ahead and subscribe Without Fail wherever you listen. One last announcement. The TV show that we have been focusing on for these last four episodes, Homecoming, guess when it's available? Right now. Friday, November 2nd, the Homecoming TV show that we've been talking about this whole time, it is now available for viewing. You can watch it on Amazon Prime. All right, that's the end of this episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. And now we're going to run the credits. This episode was hosted by me, Alex Bloomberg, and was produced by Stevie Lane. We were edited by Devin Taylor. Mark Phillips wrote and performed our theme song. Build Buildings wrote and performed our special ad music. Peter Leonard and Sam Baer mixed the episode. Special thanks to Sarah Platt, who produced that episode of Without Fail. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.